This is the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Peter Creek, we honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged with this week's message from Pastor Kelly Baldridge. Church, let us turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul has expressed in chapter 2, before we are saved, before we become Christians, that our condition is a dismal one. And so now he speaks of God's initiative, even in this text, to save man in his fallen, helpless, and hopeless estate. And now in verses 8 through 10, we find some language that is similar to what we've already heard, that we are saved by grace, that it is what God has done. And so he's beginning to explain here in verses 8 through 10, uh, as he describes what he began to explain in 2.5. If you look at chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 5, he says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, that is, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. And in this text that we're looking at today, he's explaining what has happened to the believer. So that's what we hope to do. We want to speak of the nature of God's salvation. And so before we pray over the text, I want to remind you, though, that Paul is writing in such a way that is not supposed to just be this dry theology, this dry understanding of who God is, but rather he has already prayed that the Ephesian Christians would have their hearts in love with the gospel, in love with the truth, that they would have their hearts changed, that they would have their hearts warmed within them for the God of the gospel. And so let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his word. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we seek to hear from you and seek to understand your word, we ask God for your grace. We ask that you would strengthen us Lord, that you would teach us, that your spirit would guide us to the truth. And Father, I pray that you would make things clear today for the good of your people. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Hear the word of the Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's begin with a scenario. It's not necessarily a biblical one. But you get to judgment. You're standing before God and, and God asks you, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you in here? Why should you be here? What kind of answers do you think that we might hear? We might hear different answers in here than we would outside of here. But some may say something like this. I was a good person. 
I did more good than I did bad. I gave to the poor. I fed the hungry. I clothed the naked. You might hear some say, I was a member of this church. I was a member of that church. I attended services every week. I even tithed. Friends, both of these types of answers are wrong. Both of these types of answers will no, by no means get you into heaven. In fact, if that is how you answer it, if that is how you start off with the Lord, there is no hope. They would not be accepted. See, what we learn in this passage is that if we answer that question and begin with the word I, we have already fallen short of the glory of God. We've already fallen short of what it means to be saved. We've already fallen short of what it means to have a salvation experience. We already fall short of of how we are able to enter into heaven. We are doomed. We've missed the point of salvation. Paul is helping the Ephesians understand something very clearly because he has explained from chapter 1 into chapter 2 that salvation is all of God. From beginning to end, salvation, your salvation, friend, is all of God. But there's also another view of salvation that is wrong. In the scenarios we shared, we focused on the man-centered view. A view that says, well, it's up to me. It's up to what I do. It's up to me being a good person. But there's another view that says, well, it's up to both God and me. It's those who say, well, God has done this. God has done a wonderful work in Christ dying and and being raised. Like he's done a lot of it, but then the rest is up to me. You see, that's another false view of salvation. There are those who say, well, maybe maybe it's 50% God and 50% me. Some might say, well, it's 75% God and 25% me. And then others may even say, well, it's 99% God and 1% me. Some may say, well, God has done all of this and then I have to have faith. I have to trust in him in order to be saved. We do preach that you need to believe the gospel. But your salvation is not based upon the 1%. In fact, salvation is 100% God. 100%. There's no you in your salvation. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation Friends, is your sin. And this is what Paul is teaching here in Ephesians 2. God is the one who saves. It's 100% God saving or there is no salvation. If we go back to the opening scenario, the only correct answer is to eliminate the word I from your answer. It must begin with God. The only way you can say I is this. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But God, you made me alive in Christ. But God, you raised me up in him. But God, you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to die in the place of sinners like me. The only way we can say I is understanding who we were, dead in our trespasses and sins. Now that's what Paul is working to explain to us today, that God saves Three thoughts for us. First one is this. God saves solely by grace. God saves solely 
by grace. You see that in verse 8, don't you? He repeats something that he interjected in verse 5. That Paul, when he's describing the salvation, he begins with God. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he interrupts himself, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's an interruption. That is an interjection. He adds this to what he meant to say because he wants us to understand that we are saved by grace. God's grace, marvelous grace. It is grace because it is God's unmerited favor. It is God's undeserved favor. It is what God has done. Grace is not something that you earn. And grace is not something that you deserve. But it is what you need. And you are undeserving of it. So God saves solely by grace. This means this, that God saves because you needed saving The very fact that God saves us helps us to understand that we need saving. But saved from what? Because we can go out to our neighbor and say, brother or or friend, you need saved. You need to be saved. And they can say, from what? From oncoming traffic? From from a a disease? From, From what? What do I need saved from? Well, he's already told us this in Ephesians 2. You are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you want to walk. So he's, you, need, you need saved from your sin. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You are a spiritually dead person. And you need saved from your sin. But you also are the walking dead. You are those who, who are dead in your sin, but then you are in rebellion against God, that you follow the way of the world and that you follow uh, the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, and you follow your own flesh, your own desires. You need saved from your rebellion against God. You've rebelled against God. You were at war with God. You're an enemy of God and you need saved from your rebellion. But then he says that you're also children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul makes that clear. And so what do you need saved from? You need also saved from God. You need saved from God. In John 3, Jesus makes clear that if we do not trust in him, if we do not believe in the gospel, if we have not been born again so that we may believe the gospel, that the wrath of God remains on us in John 3.36. The wrath of God remains on the children of wrath unless God saves them. And we need saved from God. And that is why God sends Christ to save us from himself, to save us from that judgment, that condemnation that he pours out on the children of wrath. And it is a deserved condemnation. So you need saved from your sin, you need saved from your rebellion, and you need saved from God. And what does salvation say? Salvation says that God has done what is necessary to save you from himself by sending his son to be your substitute, to receive the penalty of sin, your sin, to receive the wrath of God poured out upon your sin in him. And so God saves because you need saving. So God must do it, and God does it by grace. But God saves solely by grace, and we understand this when we understand that God saves as a gift. The salvation is a gift. Notice what he says here in verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is a gift of God. As a child, you might have had some chores. And perhaps you were told that if you do your chores, now some of you who are older said, no, this is not true, that you just had to do your chores and that was it. But bear with me. You do your chores and then we'll go to the store and we'll grab you a toy. That is not a gracious thing, is it? You have earned that toy. You did your chores. You did what was necessary. You, you accomplished it. You've earned that toy. That's something you've earned. But then you think about a time when you did nothing to earn that toy. No chores, no good behavior, no acts of kindness, nothing. But you get a toy anyway. What is that? That's a gift. It's not something that you've earned. It's not something that they want back. It is something that is given to you freely because the person who gave it to you wanted to give it to you. And here's what we learn, learn about salvation. Salvation is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not only grace is the gift of God, but then also notice this because it's included here. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. Faith is not your own doing, in other words, Paul is saying. Faith is not something that you muster up in yourself. Faith is not something that you come to by, by particular study or by particular evidences that you find or accumulate. No, faith itself is a gift of God. The reason, friend, that you are a Christian and the reason that you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the reason you are saved is because God has given you and granted to you the gift of faith. One day... You did not believe. And then the next day you woke up and you believed. Uh, one church service, hundreds of church services, thousands of church services, perhaps you, you hear the gospel. It goes in one ear and out the other. You don't understand it. You don't comprehend it. But then there's one service that you come and it makes sense to you. God gives the gift of faith. It is a gift. It's not earned. It's not deserved. But God gives it to you. That is a wonderful thing. It is a gift. The cause and the means of our salvation are both part of the gift of God. The cause, you've been saved. You've been saved. That's what he says in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The cause is grace. God graciously saves. And then the conduit, if you will. The, the instrument of Salvation is faith. God uses it. But notice, he says, you have been saved. He's speaking to believers here, and he's saying to those Christians, you have been saved, meaning it's something that happened in the past. It happened where? Not on your knees, not at the altar. You've been saved on Calvary, at the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Is at the cross. It was at the cross that God has saved. And that is a result that happened in the past. And the effects continue on to the present. What happened at the cross. What Jesus has done. He has accomplished salvation. He has done it. And then notice it says you have been saved. This is a passive voice. Meaning it is something that happens to you. It's not active. You do not save yourself. But you have been saved. It is happening to you. God saves you. God saves you. And so it's a gift. God is the one who causes it. 
And then God uses the means of faith so that you may receive it. This is why we have Sabbath rest. To remind us that we are called to rest in him. We are called to rest from our labors and to rest in Christ's work. To rest in him. Today is the day of salvation. Cease from your labors and rest in the Lord. Rest in what Christ has done. Rest in those words that he cries out on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. It's nothing that you do. It is simply by clinging to Christ. So God saves solely by grace. But then in verse 9, we see that God in salvation deserves all of the credit alone. Paul goes on to say, it's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. In verse, he said, in verse 8 he said this is not of yourselves. And now he says it's not a result of work. So that no one may boast. When you think that you have done something in order to earn your salvation. When you say with those we spoke of I lived a good life. I've done this and I've done that. I've helped these and I've helped those. You rob God of his glory. The reason why salvation is a gift is because God gets the glory. It is all to the glory of his grace. It is all to the glory of his work. It is all to the glory of God that our salvation allows no man, no woman, no child to boast in themselves and to boast in the decision that they have made, but rather to boast in what God has done. To say, God has saved me. God has done it. I could not do it. I could not come to him, but God is the one who has come to me. There's no boasting. We're glory thieves. We want people to like us. There are things that we do, even good things that we do, so that people will appreciate us, so people will speak well of us. We do things to, to keep face, to save face. We do things so that people will, will admire us. Oh, he does this in the church, or she does that in the church. We have to be careful because we must remember that there's no boasting in ourselves. There's no boasting in what we do. See, we enjoy being the center of attention and we enjoy thinking that we have done something in order to gain God's approval. But salvation is all of grace. And it's all for God's glory. No boasting. At least not in ourselves. But we will boast in him who saves. When you boast, it typically is because You've done something. And this is why I need to address this with you. Because you and I, when we read the Gospels, we ought to find ourselves being a lot like those bad old Pharisees. See, the Pharisees did stuff. They actually did stuff. It was true when they said we fasted. It is true when they said that they've done this and they've done that. But the Pharisees also, as they did those things, were doing those things for who? For the Pharisees, for themselves, that there are things that we do in this life that we help others, not for them. Celebrities do this all the time, don't they? They have charities. They have things that they give to. They, they, they love it when you, when you praise them for giving a million dollars here or a thousand dollars there or whatever they do. They do it not for the people that receive it, though. They do it for themselves and friends. We may not have a million dollars to give, but we certainly do this on a smaller scale in our own lives. 
And so we have to be careful, don't we? To not boast in our things, to not boast because even though we sometimes tell the truth about the things we do, we must understand that sometimes we do those things out of sinful pride and arrogance and not out of humility. And so in verse 9, he tells us that it's not a result of works so that no one may boast. And so we are to remember why Jesus came. Did Jesus come for those who are like the Pharisees who say, I can do this and I can do that? No. Who did Jesus come for? Jesus came for the sick. Remember what he said. Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician. So you say, well, I'm pretty good. God, let me into heaven. I've done this and I've done that. Well, why did Christ come? Do not rob Christ of his glory for what he has done on the cross by saying, I do not need the gospel. I am already good. I've already done these things. I am one who does wonderful things and wonderful works in your world. But rather, let us remember that Christ said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ came for sinners. So if you feel that you are healthy without Jesus, you'll never come to Jesus. If you feel that you are good on your own, you'll never see your need for grace. You'll continue to attempt to save yourself by your own works, by your own doing, but you'll only put yourself under a heavier load. Because if you say that you can save yourself by your good works, you do understand that there's never enough good works to get you out of the pit where you are dead. Because if you were dead, a dead man cannot bring himself back to life. No matter how hard he tries. Why? Because he's dead. But then thirdly, we see that God, his salvation, shows us that he alone saves and he does so entirely. This is the wonderful thing about salvation. God doesn't just save us a little bit. He saves us a lot. He saves us entirely. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. Look at the text. For we are his workmanship. This is the reason that we're not to boast because we are his workmanship. Our works won't save us, but we are his workmanship. He has created us. He has made us new. You are God's handiwork. His masterpiece. People post pictures on, on Facebook, on Instagram, on other places, even on their walls of sunsets, of the mountains. And we always will say God's painted a pretty picture. And those things are true. But if you are a Christian and you have been saved, you are the masterpiece that God has made. You are the beautiful picture that God has created. It is something that God has done in you to save you. And it's true that God has made it. But you can say that God is the one who has worked in us. This word workmanship is the same word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. It's used in Romans 1 to speak of God's creative power in creation. In other words, what God does when he saves 
is the same power that he used to create the world. That he created the world, he created the earth, he created those beautiful things that we say that is God's masterpiece. But then he also creates you new. He works in you and makes you a new creation. You were dead and now you're alive. And then he does speak of that, doesn't he? In verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're a new creation, a new man. And what God is doing in you is what he tells us in Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The new creation in you is that one day you will look like Christ. That's the work that he began in you. And that's the work he will complete. That one day, all of these wrinkles, all of these, these faults that we have, all of these, these sinful tendencies will be gone. And we will be like Jesus. I hope, I hope that you feel the weight of your sin at times, Christian. That you would see that you are not who you are supposed to be. And that it would cause you to run to Christ so that you would see that God is making you who you were meant to be. And you were meant to be conformed in the image of God's Son. And actually, that's what God is doing because you're a new creation. You're a new man. But then we also see here that we are created for a new purpose. Or we, I should say we are created new for a purpose. That you are created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. But this is why you were made new. You are not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. God has saved you so that you would do good in the world. God has saved you so that you would be the change in the world. But it's not necessarily the change or the works that you and I think of. But rather, what are these works? It's the works that you do in Christ. Because anything that we do not in Christ are filthy rags. They fall short of the glory of God. But rather we do good works when we imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. We do good works when we show the humility of Christ as he himself humbled himself, that he became obedient. And so as we show, not pride or arrogance, but as we show forth humility, as we live walking the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 23, the Lord leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. As we follow him, as we obey God's laws, we obey God's word as those who have been saved already. That is the good works that he uses. That is the good works that he's called us to. That is the good works that God prepared beforehand. And so Paul doesn't ever allow us to say anything about ourselves that even the good works that we will do are those works that God has already preordained, predestined, pre-worked out that we would do. And it could very well mean that God will use you to bring others to Christ. It could very well mean that God will use you to display holiness, to display humility, to display the fruit of the Spirit to those around you. This is what God is doing. And He is doing it entirely. Notice, there's a great change in this passage I want you to see. In verse 2, the dead man walks following the world, following Satan, and following their own flesh. 
That's how they walked. That's the course that they followed. But then God saves you. And when he saves you, he saves you entirely. So then in verse 10, you would hear this. That God has saved you for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saves us entirely. We once walked according to the course of this world. We once walked according to the prince of the power of air, Satan. And we once walked according to our own flesh. But now we walk in good works. We walk because we've been saved. We've been changed. And so we're called to walk in good works. You are to walk as those who are being conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a salvation that we have experienced. What a salvation that we've had. But now let me speak to you real quick. Christian, if God has saved you, are you praying that God would save others? If God alone saves, and if it's up to him to save, and you have family members that you know are lost, that you have friends that you know are lost, you have neighbors that you know are lost, you have those around you who you know need the gospel, do not just wait on them to one day grasp it. Do not just think that, that somehow they'll stumble across something, but rather take time to bow your knee before the God who saves and plead with him to save them because it is God who saves. And so what should we do? We should trust God to do what he does. We should trust God to save. We should trust God to save our children, to save our grandchildren, to save our loved ones, to save our neighbors, to save our enemies, to save our leaders. There are political leaders who lead us that God has appointed and put them in place who need our prayers that they would be saved. But we would pray to God because he is the one who saves. But then to those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus Christ and you hear this message and you think, how can I be saved? Then if it's God who saves, how, how can I be saved? What, 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 what happens here? Well, one of the means that God uses to save is the word of God preached. Why is Sunday important? Here's why Sunday is important. Because every time you come to hear the word of God preached, you are hearing from God. This is when God meets with you. This is when God meets with you. This is when God speaks. In our services, we sing the word. It is a wonderful thing, but we are singing to God and to one another. When we pray, it is a wonderful thing. We are praying to God. When we confess, we are confessing to God. When we profess our faith, we are professing to one another and to God. But in the preaching of God's word, God speaks to us. He speaks to you. And so here's the message. If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, cry to him. Cry to him. Because you have heard his word. And if this has pierced your heart, if this has pierced your soul, and now you believe, now you understand, friend, God has saved you. God has saved you. It's not some emotional experience necessarily, it could very well be that someone turned the light on that once was off. And if that's you, I would tell you, cry to God and he will answer. Those who come to him, he will not cast out. Give your heart to him 
Trust in him. Believe him. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your word. It is a word that we need. Yes, many of us already know that you are the one who saves. But Father, may we be reminded of it. May it be something not only that is in our mind, but also in our hearts, that it warms us to think about the fact that you saved us, God, when we were undeserving, when we were sinning against you, when we were your enemies, you made us your sons. What a wonderful salvation we have. And so, Father, help us to walk in these good works that you have prepared beforehand for us. But we also pray for those who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that your word would do the quickening, that it would make them alive so that they would believe the gospel and trust in Christ. And so that we may give you all the glory for it. Lord, I pray and I take moments here to pray, God, for the many family members and neighbors of these who have gathered that are on their hearts. We ask, O oh God, that you would do a work that only you could do in the hearts of those that are on their minds right now. We pray, Father, that you would quicken their hearts, make them alive so that they may believe the gospel, so that they may be saved and know the saving power of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would do it so that you would receive the glory and that we would look at what has been done and we would say, God has done it. And so Father, help us to obey you. Help us to honor you. Help us to give you the glory in all things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If God has used this message to influence you or you would like more information about our church, connect with us on the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Facebook page. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages from Pastor Kelly Baldridge.